Welcome to the PB&J podcast. This will not be televised. Whether you agree with us or not, we invite you to be curious, become empowered, conduct your own research, and gain personal confidence with the goal of improving your overall health and wellness. For health topics and questions, we encourage everyone to consult their physician to discuss the best care and treatments for their personal situation. Hey everybody, it's the PB&J podcast. This will not be televised. Hey Pam, what's going on? Hey Jay, life is grand. And I heard <laughs> we have a very interesting conversation today. Yeah, we're going to talk about the heart. So before Pam uh, goes and talks about some more interesting things, I'm going to talk about the heart itself because uh, I don't know if anyone remembers going to school learning about the heart. I remember maybe a tenth of what I was taught. So the uh, heart is an organ about the size of your fist, and it's made up of multiple layers of tissue. It's located in the chest just behind and slightly toward the left of the breastbone. It's enclosed in a fluid-filled sac called the pericardium, and that pericardium is a protective covering that produces fluid that lubricates the heart and prevents friction between the heart and surrounding organs. The heart pumps blood through your body. It uses a system of blood vessels such as arteries, veins, and capillaries that carries blood to and from all areas of your body. So the entire network of the heart, blood vessels, arteries, veins, capillaries, and all that stuff, it's known as the cardiovascular system. So as you guys probably already know, blood carries oxygen and nutrients that the organs need to work properly, and it also carries carbon dioxide to the lungs where it will be exhaled. The heart's electrical system controls the heartbeat's rate and rhythm of the heartbeat. Now here's, here's what you're probably not ex- excited about, but I think it's important and you'll probably remember a little bit of this. The heart has four chambers. The upper two chambers are called the atria, and the lower two chambers are called the ventricles. And those chambers are separated by these partitions, these walls called septums. The right upper atrium receives deoxygenated blood from the body and pumps it to the right lower ventricle. From there, the blood goes to the lungs to load it with oxygen. The left upper atrium gets oxygenated blood from the lungs, and that blood goes to the left lower ventricle. The left lower ventricle is the strongest chamber of the heart, and it pumps the oxygen-rich blood to the rest of the body. And no, I don't know this by heart, in case you're wondering. This is all from my research. (laughs) Just just in case anyone thinks I'm that smart. I'm, I'm really not. She's a heart surgeon. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> well, I play one on TV. Great. <laughs> <Right. laughs> um, so there are four valves in the heart that manage the traffic of the blood flow through the chambers. And the heart gets its uh, nutrients and oxygen by way of the coronary arteries that run along the surface of the heart. So the heart is also supplied by a web of nerve tissue, tissue that facilitates the rhythmic heartbeat um, that you hear your heartbeats. If disease or injury weakens the heart, the rest of the body's organs don't receive enough blood to work normally. And so um, why is that important? And so you figure um, the the heart is is what's driving the train, right? It's your heart and brain are are big deals in, in your body. And if the heart is a muscle and you damage your muscle, which is the heart, 
I think it's called Pam, and correct me if I'm I'm wrong. Isn't it considered an involuntary muscle? Does that come back yes. to you? Okay, that's true. Right, because you're not actually doing. It's doing its own thing. You're not you're not doing anything to make it beat. It, it's doing its own thing. So as an involuntary muscle, you need to take care of it. And we all know that you just can't go to the store and buy a new heart. Uh, <laughs> that's just not going to happen. And so taking care of your heart is, is a really big deal. Um, and I'm going to let Pam go before I talk about some of the, um, the diseases of the heart. I will let her talk about um, how stress impacts the heart and, and ways to prevent that from happening. Take it away, Pam. Hey, Jay. Thanks a lot. Um, you were talking as you were talking, and you were talking about this involuntary muscle. The thing, one thing about the heart, it never stops. It never stops working, like some organs within our body. Um, just like the liver, the liver has to rest, you know, has to have time to rest. The heart doesn't have that opportunity because it kind of, it's a life force in all of us, us humans. And so taking care of the heart is probably the best thing you can do for your overall body, your overall health. Um, there was some research that was done, and I'm going to talk to women about this because it, it concerns me that women are at a higher risk than most men for heart disease. And why is that? Well, as women get go into early menopause, so you probably wonder, or premature menopause, and you're probably wondering where that, that is. That, that could be anywhere before the age of 40, or for some afterwards. But because of early menopause, there's changes in the cells that actually increase your risk for heart disease. And this study was done by NIH back in 2020, and they have linked, you know, all the science. There's a lot of science, and if you go into Google, you can find everything and all you wanted to know, probably more than you need to know. But there is a link between menopause and um, heart disease. So the earlier we can start, preventing uh, heart disease in our bodies as we enter into menopause or premenopausal stages, um, the better off we'll be in the long run. So there's a lot of strategies that, uh, that they talk about, you know, as far as how to prevent heart disease. And of course, they are a lot. <laughs> but there's certain things that we all can do to kind of prevent um, heart disease and, and creating havoc in our heart muscles. Um, one of the things is that we need is we need to have, uh, we need exercise. We need exercise. We need anywhere from 30 to 45 minutes of exercise a day. Now, when I say exercise, that doesn't mean going to the gym, having these strenuous uh, workouts. It could be just a walk, taking a walk putting in some miles on the street, you know, just, just getting up and taking that walk. That's considered exercise because it allows the, the heart muscles to actually build. And so that's one of the things that we can do. We can also have control of our weight. And when I say that, I'm not talking about, I'm, I'm more talking about making sure that you're, you have a certain uh, you're carrying a certain weight because of the fact that that weight itself or being obese is 
can be, you know, is detrimental to your body, but it's also detrimental to your heart because your heart has to work that much harder in order to do what it's normally functioned to do. Um, and there's certain caution signs that you need to be aware of. And Jay may probably talk about that, but um, we also need to get a certain amount of sleep. Now adults, this is just kind of like a guideline. Most adults should get anywhere about seven, seven to eight hours of sleep per night. If you have trouble sleeping or if you have insomnia, I don't know what the fix is, but you are gonna have to go to, I suggest you go to your physician, talk to them about your, your sleep habits. Um, it could be something as, as having a restful sleep could be something like, uh, you know, something that is in your body that's causing you not to, to go to sleep or something that's going on in your mind. It could be stress. You know, stress will, will keep you up at night. Um, things that are going on in your environment. Um, and there's warning signs behind all of this. Um, if you have increased trouble sleeping and, or can't lay down flat, some people cannot lay down flat. Um, because of the fact that they find it is difficult to, to breathe or difficult to sleep in that position. If you have a loss of appetite, it's another indication that they're just like a medical alert, that something is wrong, Some, there's a problem somewhere. And if you have any new um, symptoms like uh, dizziness or confusion or even depression, can actually be an indicator that there is something wrong and it could be a factor of the heart. So, and if you have like sudden weight gain all of a sudden, say two to three pounds, like in a 24 hour period, which is a lot, you know, <laughs> um, but that could be an indication of, of a problem in the heart, you know? so. There are a lot of indicators that we can look at, and I'm not trying to really scare anybody to the point that they're like, oh crap, that's me, that's me, you know, but we all have certain indicators that <clears throat> we know exactly what's happening to, to our bodies all the time um, because of the fact that if you are truly, truly in tune with what's going on with your body, then you will probably pick up on some of those indicators, you know? Um, so like I said, there, there are certain factors that you need to look at, uh, not only a healthy eating, a healthy diet filled with fruits and vegetables, you know, um, lean meats and fish, uh, low fat or, or dairy products or fat-free dairy products. I really don't, I'm not an advocate of fat-free dairy products, but I'm getting this from Mayo Clinic. <laughs> okay. And the reason why I'm not a fan of fat-free um, dairy products, one, because of the amount of sugar that they put in non-dairy products, you know, just to make them taste good. Um, also, I mean, if you look on, um, if you look at most milk, you can see a certain amount of sugar even in milk products. So dairy, uh, I'm not a strong advocate of dairy. I tend to, to eat, drink nut milk. Um, or oat milk, uh, as opposed to actually milk from, you know, a cow. Uh, a lot of people are also allergic to uh, milk, to lactose and uh, yes, other exactly. things. A lot of people are allergic to that. Yes, very yeah. much so. So, yeah, so if you're 
substituting, you know, uh, um, regular whole milk with some other oat milk, you're still getting the nutrients. Actually, maybe more or, or better. I can't make that determination. I'm not going to know, say that I know the science behind all of it. And also healthy fats is another thing like olive oil or avocado oil. Now, in the last, I'm going to say within the last three months, I've heard some pros and cons about olive oil, avocado oil, certain oils, especially in preventing cancer. So it's like damned if you do and damned if you don't. Like it's, so, it's, you know, it's like the discussion about coffee. You, you know, one day you'll read that uh, drinking coffee like, I don't know, three cups of coffee or five cups of coffee a day is supposed to, you know, lengthen your lifespan. And then another one says, oh, no, if you drink coffee, you must stop now. So right, right. It, you never right. know. Because it ain't about a caffeine. So, right. yeah, you never know. That's why I said damned if you do or damned if you don't. So my my takeaway is always eat balance, eat a balance, eat. Moderation. Know, don't over, yeah, don't overdo anything, you know. So, um, of course, you know, don't smoke tobacco. We don't use tobacco because, of course, that's linked to heart disease. Um, I said once, once again, I'm going to say you aim for at least 30 to 60 minutes of physical activity daily. Um, it doesn't have to be aerobic activity um, because I know, you know, there are some people with limited mobility. But even if you just get a couple of, you know, couple of minutes, 20 minute walk or a 10 minute walk, you know, and maybe do it throughout the day where you're doing it in intervals. You don't have to necessarily have to do 20 minutes and, you know, in, in, in you know, 20 minute walk within one session. You can do it in the morning, take a quick walk, and then maybe in the afternoon kind of break it up um, so that it works with your schedule. And Pam, I'm going to... I'm going to throw something else in there, too, mm-hmm. because you and I talked about this, I think, in maybe two other of our podcasts, the importance of physical activity. Mm-hmm. So if you think about your heart as a muscle and you look mm-hmm. at all the other muscles in your body, if you just if you're a lump and everything becomes atrophied, all of your leg muscles and your arm muscles, right. you know that, you know, the 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 reason that's happening is because you're not moving. And so this article, and I talked about the heart when we first opened, and Mm -hmm. and this kind of ties in with that. Uh, This was from a Harvard Harvard article, and I thought it meant it was so appropriate. It says, when you exercise, the exertion forces your heart to pump more blood around your body to your muscles and lungs. Mm. The entire process relaxes blood vessels over time and makes your heart run more efficiently, both of which keep your blood pressure low. And it goes right to the fact of you're talking about, it, you don't have to run a marathon. All you have to do is be active in some way, shape, or form. Right. Even if it means you're running around your house cleaning. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's an activity that actually your heart can benefit from. But, you know, the thing is, when when you are have a physical activity, um, and you put a strain on your, you know, there are certain conditions that people will end up having because of the fact that there's strain on the heart, like high blood pressure is one, you know, type two diabetes is another one. 
where it actually is a, those types of conditions actually are a strain on the heart, which I did not know. Um, but so the activity, the physical activity, 30 to 60 minutes, you know, daily or 150 minutes of total a week of any type of aerobic exercise or a brisk or walking at a brisk pace will actually increase, you know, your the capacity for your your heart to function properly. Um, also, we t I said about good sleep, and so the seven hours is very important. And the other thing we need to talk about is managing stress. You know, people who um, some people cope with stress in different ways, and some people cope with stress in unhealthy ways, and that includes overeating and drinking and smoking. And they've seen, especially since COVID, and, and you know, we're now in, in year three of COVID. You know, I don't like to talk about COVID. I don't like to use it on the podcast because I'm, I'm hoping it eventually it just disappears. <laughs> And we can go back, and I don't think we'll ever go back to normal, but at least we can have some simulation of what it is to go out without having the fear of COVID or monkeypox or... Oh, geez. Or some, yeah. You, I, you know, they just called that a global something today. The WHO yes. determined it was some kind of global something something. Yes, exactly. Some major so catastrophe. We're, we're, yeah, so we're in another phase, and it's funny because I had this uh, little pimple that formed on right under, right on the side of my chin, you know, and I, I was like, oh my gosh, do I have monkey? <laughs> what the and heck? Not only that, but is it on my face? <laughs> right, exactly. Now, you know, normally, you know, under normal circumstances, if somebody got a pimple on their face, they're like, okay, I must have ate something or did something, right, right. you know, might have touched it or whatever, but it was no big deal. Now, when people see a pimple, and if you look at the, the if you go on Google and you look at what a, a monkey pot pimple looks like, yeah. it can easily look like an acne bone. Yeah. And, you know? And, and, and oh, by the way, um, as you age, it doesn't stop acne from forming, folks, in case there's anybody out there that think that stops. It does not. It does not. It does not, unfortunately. Does not. Yeah. Yes, it is unfortunate. But we can actually, as we get older, the good thing about it, we have better control of the outbreaks. Yeah, you know? okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. Sure. Right. Uh-huh. Whatever you yeah. say. I think, I, think, I, think it's, I say it's better control because... You know, I think we, we test our systems and we determine, like for me, I know that if I'm not drinking enough water or if I'm, if I, you know, kind of indulge in a, a sweet or something, I can, it can actually come up, you know, on my face or, you know, little spot or whatever, but it is what it is. <laughs> I just <laughs> had to throw acne. that in there. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's acne. So don't panic if you come up with a couple and you, you know. And in my case, I had just come back from the grocery store, so I know I have been touching people in the grocery store, you know, like handing money, exchanging money. And then mm -hmm. I saw uh, this woman who works in the grocery store. I always have conversations with her. And, of course, you know, we're, we're conversing. But monkeypox is by contact, whereas 
uh, COVID is, you know, it has respiratory. Cases. Yeah. Yes, respiratory is airborne. So, you know, the thing is, we can create havoc and, and scarcity and fear in our lives, and which will cause stress. And it doesn't have to necessarily be that way. So people deal with stress sometimes in unhealthy ways, but also there's healthy ways you can deal with stress. And that includes relaxation exercises or meditation or um, physical activity. We go back to physical activity will actually reduce the amount of stress that your body holds up. And, and it will actually help your heart and let the blood flow freely um, by doing those types of exercise. And of course, my last takeaway on this is get regular health screening. That includes blood pressure, cholesterol levels, and, and even type 2 diabetes screening because of the fact that diabetes is a risk factor for uh, heart disease. And beginning at age 45, this is Mayo Clinic, it, they suggest that you get at least type 2 diabetes screening you know, after beginning at age 45 and do it subsequently and getting retested every three years because type 2 diabetes can develop over a period of time. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're born with it. You know, people get diabetes, find out they have diabetes every day and, and they end up having to change their entire lifestyles. And I'm not going to go down my road on that one because I have my recommendations for people with diabetes, but it all comes back to eating, um, eating healthy. And, and exercising. I can tell exercise. Right. right. And, and we, we talked a, a little bit about this on one of our other podcasts. Um, as I don't know about men, but I know as women age and the, the menopause factor um, there is a um, pre, predisposition for mm-hmm. type 2 diabetes. And, and I think I told you before, I was diagnosed pre-diabetic. And that is done by just regular, um, I think they call it a CBC, a regular blood panel where you fast and you go get your, your blood done for your annual exam. And if mm-hmm. your sugar is spiking, you know, you know, after a fast kind of a thing, um, you know, that's a good indicator that something's going on. You need to change. And so my doctor said, "Yeah, you need to start exercising more. You need to watch what you're eating. Blah 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 blah." And so, right. it it can be controlled, right? But you mm-hmm. know, exercise is a is a big deal. It's a big part of that. Yes, absolutely, Jay. I'm glad you brought that up because that is that's important for the, for our listeners to understand that you know it had nothing really it had nothing to do with your weight because you have a normal weight size or you know well it's the girdle it's the girdle that I wear that makes you think that <laughs> <laughs> right it's that corset that I'm always wearing. <laughs> Okay, you got a pair of spanks. You know, just kind of squeezes everything in and makes me look like I'm normal weight. Well, I was going to say, but you are. I I mean, I've seen you over the years, and you always have maintained a healthy weight size, so I know it had nothing to do with the weight. So I'm I'm glad that, um, you know, they pinpointed to to actually just changing your diet and exercising more and and doing those things and, and, you know, limiting your intake of salt and sugar and processed yep. carbohydrates and Absolutely. alcohol. And 
saturated fat and trans fats and it, all kinds of fats, you know, I mean, that, that saturated fats, that's why I was talking about dairy product. You know, saturated fats are really found in, in red meat and, and dairy products. And so limiting dairy products in your diet is also beneficial. Um, so take heed to that. Um, Jay, I'm gonna let you continue to talk about the heart Okay, um, so kind of uh, dovetailing on what Pam has been talking about, um, there's a chain reaction when it comes to stress, right? And she talked about the bad behaviors that can come about as a result of stress. And smoking, she talked about overeating, lack of physical activity, an unhealthy diet, right? Because sometimes people look to food as their comfort zone, and sometimes that food is not the greatest. Um, which can make you overweight and it can also you know stress can maybe also make you not take the medications that you should be taking right Mm. Mm. so (laughs) as a result of those things um, stress situations that cause responses in the body um, specifically the release of adrenaline can make your breathing rate increase it can cause an irregular heart rate and rhythm um, it can cause a, an increase in blood pressure, and contrary to what it, it sounds like, when your blood pressure is high, that means that there is a reduction in the blood flow to the heart. So it's the opposite of what you think it would be. Um, right. Right. And, and it also causes heart inflammation. I know so many people have heard, heard the word inflammation. Oh, yeah, you know, inflammatory, infl- inflammation. And there's like, ah, scratch your head moment. What the heck does inflation, uh, inflation, <laughs> here I am thinking, it was a Freudian slip. Yes, right. I am thinking about inflation and it's stressing me out. So it's a stressor Yeah, too. exactly, exactly. So um, I looked at the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute definition of heart inflammation. And it said, heart inflammation, because I'm not this smart, Heart inflammation is your body's natural reaction to an infection or injury to the heart. To protect your body, your white blood cells send chemicals that increase blood flow to the affected area, which can lead to redness, swelling, or pain. Inflammation can affect the lining of your heart or valves, the heart muscle, or the tissue surrounding the heart, which I talked about earlier when we first started the podcast. And inflammation in the heart can lead to serious health problems including an irregular heartbeat, also called arrhythmia, heart failure, and coronary heart disease. So when we're thinking about an inflamed heart, it's not like, you know, you get a cut and you see, you know, your skin is inflamed. It's internal, so you're not seeing it. You know, it could be completely unseen and unnoticed, right? I mean, you just don't know. So that's why it's such an important thing to um, take care of your heart because it's, it's inside, just like you said before, it never stops beating, so we kind of not pay attention to it. You know, it's kind of doing its own thing, and we're just, you know, going all on our merry way. And so I wanted to talk about, uh, really quickly, because I know we're coming up on uh, 30 minutes, I think, um, medical conditions related to the heart that people have probably heard about, but they're like, yeah, I don't know what that is. I've heard about it. I've, I've seen pharmaceutical commercials on TV about it, right? right? It's like, oh yeah, what's right. that? Um, you know, I, I've seen all the medications that are supposed to fix it, but what the heck is it? So the first mm. thing I wanna talk about is congestive heart failure 
and specifically because both my mom and dad had congestive heart failure. And it was always a mystery to me, what the heck, what is that? What is that? And so I looked it up, of course, because I didn't know either. Um, The heart is unable to pump blood to body tissues efficiently. The term congestive heart failure refers to the collection of fluid because of a failing heart. And that's important to listen to, failing heart. Heart muscles become too weak to pump blood well, leading to congestion in the blood vessels and lungs. And so um, I, I know with my dad, he ended up with something called lymphedema. And that is a collection of flu, uh, fluid in his, in his arms and his legs, especially in his ankles um, mm, and his calves. That swelling. That swelling. And mm-hmm. um, it required special wraps and, you know, special things having to do with, and that was all related to congestive heart failure. That wasn't right. just some kind of fluke because he ate something salty. It was mm-hmm. because of the congestive heart failure. Um, nobody wants, I, I'm telling you what I saw my dad go through. No one wants to go through that. There, there's no one in the world that would have a lot of fun doing that. Um, another thing that you see on TV a lot is called AFib. We see all these medications for AFib. What the heck is AFib? I, I didn't even know for sure, but again, my dad had that too. So, um, you remember when I talked, uh, in the beginning, I talked about the atriums in the heart, correct? Mm -hmm. So, um, it has to do with atrial fibrillation. It's an irregular and often very rapid heart rhythm, arrhythmia, which we just Mm -hmm. talked about, that can Mm -hmm. lead to blood clots in the heart. No one, you, you, you don't want blood clots anywhere in your heart, in your legs, in your brain. You don't want them anywhere. Trust me. Um, AFib increases the risk of stroke, heart failure, and other heart-related complications. And so I'm not going to go through all of the the, uh, crazy things about the heart and all the things that could um, happen. There's only one more that I'm going to go into, and that has to do with a heart attack, which is... Yeah, but let me me go back to AFib because, you know, when I was doing my my training as, uh, you know, uh, to, to monitor heart rates, um, we used to have these athletes come in, mm-hmm. right? Right. Um, and they would be our test subjects, basically. Mm-hmm. And so they, a lot of them would have AFib. Yeah. You know, not because of their, the problems they were having with their heart. It's just that they were working it so hard all the time. Yeah. That AFib indicator would come up, yeah. you know, um, on the scan. And it was like, because of the fact that their hearts were running efficiently, but that was their normal heart rate. Right, and a lot, and you, and right. And I remember when I talked to the doctor about that, um, mm-hmm. about my dad's AFib. He said, right. you know, some people get it occasionally, some people have it all the time, mm-hmm. and some people get it for no reason at all. Right. 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 So. Yeah. So just because you've been determined that you have AFib doesn't mean that it's a problem with your heart. But the only way to really know is that you have to track it over time. If it is your normal state of your heart, then it's probably not a problem. And if you have normal weight and you do physical activities and there's no swelling and there's no chest pains or anything like that, then it may be the the normal condition of your heart. However, you know, the thing is that if it comes up all of a sudden, you know, then you need to have the discussion. 
that's when you need to have the discussion. But your doctor should know if he's been doing your testing and retesting, you know, over a period of time, he would know what would your heart rate be, you know, where would your, you know, what would your EKGs tell you? What would the EKGs tell you, you right. know, over a period of time? So I yeah. just don't want everybody to be concerned. It's like, oh, crap, I got AFib. But right, yeah, you can't self-diagnose that you have mm -hmm. AFib. Right, now they do exactly. have these gizmos that attach to phone these phones these days where you put mm -hmm. your I think your index fingers on there and it does a readout. I don't know what the um, the accuracy factor is of those things. Do you know? No, but at least it'll give you a baseline. Yeah, I don't. That, that I, you I don't can know if the doctors. Yeah, yeah, I don't. I don't think they use them because um, even with. The EKGs that they use, the old machines that they used to use, they don't even have to use those anymore, yeah. you know, to actually get a reading on your heart. So, um, yeah, it, it just depends. I mean, insurance companies still want uh, physicians to provide, you know, a, a reading on somebody's heart. Like, you know, if, if, if a patient has a certain carrier, the carriers usually like to have all of that information, especially if they're they're filing any claims for you know additional expenses. Yeah. Yeah. Like medications or more tests or whatever, whatever the doctor prescribes, the the insurance carriers want that information, and so your doctor may end up going a little bit deeper, giving you additional tests just to make just to be certain that they're giving the right diagnosis because that information they have to pass on to the insurance companies in order for them to get paid. Right. And, and you know, you, you make a, a point about the insurance companies and that all ties to probably your um, hereditary factors for, for cardiac issues, your yeah. age, um, all kinds of things, you know, play, play a role into, um, you know, that kind of stuff. So I look forward to having all the problems that my parents had when I get their age. Or, or avoid it. I'm just saying. You know, I'm just saying. But since you, but, but since you know <laughs> what to do, it, it's a good way of, yeah. of trying to figure out how to avoid them. I mean, yeah. you know, just like, uh, you know, my, my dad has a, a heart stent. And so he's, you know, he functions very well with it, you know, but the thing was that he was going into that conjunctive heart failure. And so they went ahead and did the surgery in order to give him, you know, an external, an internal pump. And so it has worked well. He, it, they monitor from home. He doesn't even realize that he has it. You know, it's nothing that, you know, has disrupted his lifestyle. He still rides the bike every morning at 95 and he's still, capable of walking so i'm i'm thankful for that yeah well you you can take care of me when i'm uh <laughs> when I'm on a wheel. Since, since you'll you'll be uh you've got the 95 you know got the age factor on your side you know with right. the, with your, <laughs> the age of your going, dad, right? you take care take uh you know your dad's side of the family for um longevity right. you take care i'll be calling you <laughs> there you go <laughs> There you go. From you, from your mouth, Janine, to God's ears. That's right. That's all I can say. <laughs> so I just, uh, the, I'm going to wrap this up, uh, Pam. I just sure. want to talk Thank about you. heart attacks, right? Okay. Because heart mm -hmm. attacks, everyone's heard of a heart attack. Um, uh, the 
the technical terms of myocardial infarction or an MI. Yeah. And that is, if, in case someone wants to know, well, what, what does that mean, a heart attack? My, what is my heart doing? So a coronary artery is suddenly blocked and some of the heart muscles die as they are starved of oxygen. Because that heart needs oxygen. It needs to have everything working properly. So the dead tissue can't repair itself and become scar tissue. And the tissue that's damaged, but still alive. Now here's the kicker. It can repair itself. If the tissue is still alive, you know, there was a, um, thoughts that if you had a heart attack and some of the, the tissue was damaged, you were up the creek. But now they have found that the tissue can be repaired, but it takes so long. Um, but, okay. but the dead tissue, not so much. That's, you know, dead is dead is dead is dead. So you don't want to have a heart attack if you can help it. So um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it there. Um, you know, there's, we could talk for hours about the heart. I, I think the bottom line is everyone needs to understand it's, it's very fragile and it is a muscle and, and something you really need to take care of, especially as you get older. It's, if you're in your 60s, um, like like we are, you figure that that thing's been pumping for sixty years. <laughs> That's a long time. And, and it hasn't failed us yet. Yes, and it has. So. Yeah, no, you know, fingers crossed. Knock on wood. You know, we're still right. kicking. So, but as you get older, as like your dad in the in his nineties, his heart's been in his in his body yeah. for ninety yeah, years. Exactly. That's 90 a long years. time. Yeah. A yeah. Long time. Yeah. yeah. And you can just imagine the, the stress that we put on our hearts when we were younger, that, you know, the things we did, you know, our lifestyle habits over time, things we've done, you know, the thing is, the, the heart can rebuild itself, you know, and actually function at, at, to a normal level, but it requires some diligence on our part to do what we need to do to make sure that happens. You've just got to take care of yourself. Yes, indeed. So on that note, Listeners, thanks again for joining PB and Jay uh, for another topic, and we look forward to you know you joining us in the future. It always gets interesting, so be well, good health. See y'all next time. <laughs>